uh, a dispute had sprung up over whether Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, should be required to be circumcised when they became Christians. Uh, You see, circumcision uh, was the outward sign of being a Jew. And Christianity had its roots in Judaism, and so many of its early converts were Jewish Pharisees, uh, people who strictly followed the Jewish law uh, and followed uh, the law that had been written by Moses. And so in order to be saved, in order to be one of God's people, to be accepted by him, you first needed to be circumcised. And you can read about this episode in Acts chapter 15. And, and this was a very serious issue at the time. So serious that Paul and Barnabas trekked all the way to Jerusalem to seek advice from the apostles on, and elders on what to do. And it was decided by the apostles that such teaching was wrong and dangerous. Uh, it actually was adding to the gospel. It was adding a requirement that no one could meet because... No one could actually obey the law perfectly. Uh, But unfortunately, this harmful teaching had reached the church in Galatia. And so Paul was anxious to protect the Philippian church uh, from such teaching, particularly because the church was mostly made up of Gentiles, non-Jews, and there was a high chance that these Judaizers might come along the road to Rome and teach this false teaching. Uh, Now, these Judaizers Judaizers had fundamentally misunderstood what circumcision was and the purpose of God's law. Uh, If we go back to Genesis 17, uh, circumcision was never meant to be a way to be saved or a ritual that made you accepted by God. Rather, it was a sign of God's grace, a sign that God would be faithful to his covenant uh, between him and his people. It was a reminder to uh, 100-year-old Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah that God would provide them with a baby, an heir who would would fulfill God's promises to them. And so Paul makes it very clear that his own example of being confident in ourselves or our background or our performance, how good we are, is not what makes us right with God. Now listen to Paul. Paul from verse 4. He says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But this was all nothing to Paul. Uh, It was all loss, garbage. If you want a better translation, it's uh, quite an offensive word. It was excrement, manure, dung, food scraps. That's what it was to Paul. It didn't count for anything and it didn't matter. Now, uh, if you knew a bit about me, I grew up in a very loving household. I had uh, I have two lovely parents who care for me and have loved me always unconditionally and I'm very thankful for the parents that I had. But at one point in my life, 
it was my HSC year, and I think a lot of HSC students feel this way, there was a, a thought that crept into my head that in order to please my parents, in order for them to love me, I had to get a certain mark and I had to achieve a certain career path. Otherwise, I'd be letting my parents down and maybe they wouldn't love me like they always did. Uh, but as I reflect upon these feelings, as I've had children myself, I've realised how wrong that thinking was because there is nothing my children can do to earn my love for them. And there is nothing that they can do to make me love them more. My love for them is not dependent on what they do, how they behave or what they achieve. I'll always love them. Now I realise that the same was for my parents. But I think, I think there's a tendency or an instinct in all of us to think that God's love for us is somehow determined by what we do or how much we perform, uh, by how much we love him, how much we love others and how much we give or serve. You see, we have a tendency to twist God's means of grace to us and twist our response to God's grace into a way of earning God's grace. And we can turn good things that help us to grow into our faith into ways we can somehow earn his favour. For instance, gathering to worship this morning with God's people is a vital and important part of us to grow in our faith with God. But God doesn't mark your attendance each week. Now the same goes with attending a Bible study or being part of a small group. We can even twist God's signs and seals of his grace into our achievements. I'm all good. I've been baptised. Uh, I participated in the Lord's Supper last week. Now, reading your Bible every day, as important as it is for our own growth and maturity, doesn't put you in God's good books. Serving in the church, putting your name on the roster, doesn't put you higher on God's leaderboard, if the, there isn't one, but if you imagine there one was, it wouldn't be there. All these things are good and vital in, to strengthening and growing us in our faith and encouraging each other, but we shouldn't be mistaken in thinking what we do in response to God's grace is what earns us God's grace. Uh, maybe you look at yourself and you realise that you fall horribly short of God's standard. Maybe there are things in your life that make you feel like you are too far gone for God to accept you. Things that you've said, things that you've thought, things that you wish you, can take, you could take back. But Paul is saying that your background doesn't matter. Your performance doesn't matter. So we need to watch out for looking to ourselves for confidence before God. Because we can't be confident. We all fall short. We need to be careful of putting confidence in ourselves because doing so robs us of joy and it puts us in spiritual danger. So how can we rejoice in the Lord? Well, the key is my second point. 
put your confidence in Christ's faithfulness. And we can see this confidence in Paul, starting in verse 3. Paul says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is making a bold statement here. He's taking these Judaizers head on. He's directly challenging their belief that someone can put their confidence before God in the external physical custom of circumcision and following the law. And he does this by making the bold claim that those who boast in Christ alone, they're the true circumcision, even though they may not be physically circumcised. In fact, Paul is saying that Christians are those who don't rely strictly on following the law for their salvation, but boast in Christ alone and his faithfulness. They are the true spiritual Israel. They are God's true people. You see, Paul is pointing us back to the Old Testament. And he's showing us being one of God's people does not require a physical ritual, but a spiritual transformation of the heart. Now, true circumcision is circumcision of the heart. Now, listen to Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. It says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts of your descendants, so that you will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Circumcision of the heart, it's not physical. It's not ancient heart surgery. It's spiritual. You can't see it. It's not something we do or perform, but it's something God does in us. He changes our hearts. The Holy Spirit transforms our hearts so we can realize that there is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. There is nothing we can do or perform to make us right with God. God transforms our hearts so that we believe and put our trust in what Jesus has done for us. We put our confidence in Christ's faithfulness, not ours. Listen to how God transformed Paul's heart, starting in verse 8. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Being righteous before God is not the result of our performance, but it is a result of Christ's faithfulness to us. Christ lived the perfect life and obeyed the law perfectly, something we can never do. Christ died in our place and paid the penalty for our sin, something, thankfully, we don't have to do. And Christ rose from the dead three days later, defeating sin and death. And because of Christ's faithfulness to us uh, through his life, through his death and resurrection, we're actually united with Christ by the power of his spirit. Verse 10 tells us of this union with Christ. It says, 
we know Christ. We share in his sufferings, in his death, and most amazingly, we share in the power of his resurrection. And it's because of this union with Christ that everything that is true of him, it becomes true of us. And so we share in his righteous standing before God. We're credited with God's righteousness rather than a righteousness of our own. And on the flip side, everything that is true of us, Christ takes upon himself. And so our sin he bears in our place. We receive his righteousness and he takes our sins. And because of this, we can be confident that when Christ returns, when he renews the heavens and the earth, when he raises the dead, that we too will attain the resurrection of the dead. That is, we will receive glorified, resurrected bodies that will be pure, immortal and incorruptible. Now, a couple of months ago, you might have seen this in the news, but a large cargo ship uh, came out of Port Kembla and hit a massive storm. It was, it's hard to remember when there were storms because there's been so many. But as soon as it got out, it hit huge waves. I think they were over 11 metres. And it had a mechanical failure and started to drift into the rocks at the, at below uh, the Royal National Park. Now, this ship deployed both its anchors and managed to stop its slow and gradual movement into these rocks. Uh, it was a terrible situation. The, the cargo ship had over a thousand tons of fuel uh, and it was getting pounded by these waves. Uh, there was nothing it could do. It could only signal for rescue. It could only cry out for help. And the only way to be rescued was for another ship to tow it to safety. And that's what ended up happening. Uh, Ocean-going tugs connected lines to this big cargo ship and towed her into Port Botany. Uh, this cargo ship had to be connected and united with these relatively small but powerful ocean-going tugs. And its crew had to put faith and trust in the tugs in order for it to be rescued to safety. Confidence in uh, their own ship's abilities was gone. The only solution was that the cargo ship had to be united to the tug's power and the tug had to carry the dead weight of the cargo ship. But what, what struck me was the crew's reaction to all this. Uh, I've served on ships and uh, in a crisis like this, you probably wouldn't have slept, and I think they probably hadn't slept for a couple of days, knowing that they could have easily been continued drifting into the rocks. Uh, they would have been stressed, they would have been anxious, and they would have been uncertain. Uh, but when they were rescued, they were their, their morale was described as happy. They were joyful. Uh, they were relieved. And as, and as Christians, regardless of whether life feels like we're in an atrocious storm, we can feel joy. We can rejoice in the Lord because we know that Christ has been faithful and rescued us. When we put our faith and trust in him, we're counted righteous before God. 
I wonder if you're sitting this morning, do you believe that? Where are you at this morning? Where are you putting your confidence in? Are you putting it in yourself, your background, or your performance? Or are you feeling utterly hopeless, falling short of God's standard? Well, Paul is warning us that this thinking is dangerous. It doesn't work. Who we are, where we've come from, what we've done in the past counts for nothing. It's loss. We can't jump high enough. We can't meet God's standard. We'll keep failing to measure up. But the good news is that true joy is found by putting your faith and trust and confidence in someone who can, Jesus Christ, trusting in his faithfulness and not yourself, being united with him, sharing in his righteousness before God and being confident by being resurrected from the dead when Christ returns. Let's pray and pray that we will put our confidence in the one we can be confident in. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing news that even though we fall so short of your standard, even though we can't jump high enough uh, to meet your standard, Christ has met that standard through his life and has died in our place for our sins and has risen again so that we have full confidence in the resurrection when he returns. I pray that we would not put our confidence in ourselves, but in Christ alone. And I pray for those of us who feel that we feel we continue to fall short, that they would not put their confidence uh, in themselves, but in Christ alone too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.